morning, Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington. Today is Tuesday, March the 29th. And here are some of the stories we're covering for you this morning. M23 rebels attack army positions in Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo near the border with Uganda and Rwanda. They say all attacks which started from the last uh, October was because FRDC was attacking them in their position in the Congo forests. That is reporter Jaffa Alcatante reporting from Goma. In Malawi, civil society groups call for an independent investigation into allegations of corruption in public institutions. High-level government officials are suspected to have participated uh, in a number of taxes activities, including public procurement. That is Charles Kajoloweka, the executive director of the anti-corruption group Youth and Society in Malawi. Ghana's president Nana Akufo-Addo lifts more COVID-19 prevention measures and reopens land and sea borders. We'll have those stories and more coming up right here on Daybreak Africa. Stay tuned. And for our top story, heavy fighting erupted Monday in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo when fighters from the M23 rebel group attacked army positions near the border with Uganda and Rwanda. Reports say that the fighting took place near the villages of Chanzu and Runyoni, northeast of Goma. Last week, the armed group which seized large swathes of territory during an insurrection in 2012 and 2013 accused the army of attacking its positions. For more on this report, I reached Jaffa Sabiti Alcatante, a reporter based in Goma in the eastern DRC. The army uh, recognized the attack and said that they are fighting to, to stop the enemy to progress. And this evening, the spokesperson of the FRDC just did a statement about the attack and say that it's not only M23, but also Rwandan army, because when fighting, they succeeded to capture some Rwandan elements. And we have even some officers who recognize that they are uh, soldiers from Rwandan Defense Forces, RDF, like uh, Najida and a caporal from Rwanda with their cards and their numbers. So the, the spokesperson of the, the, the government forces, the DRC uh, military, held a press conference Monday evening to present to reporters evidence that they had been capturing soldiers that are from the neighboring country of Rwanda. Yeah, 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 yes. And even the soldiers accepted that they claimed to be uh, soldiers of the 402, 402nd Brigade of Infantry of Rwanda Defense Forces. Have you had any type of reaction yet from the Rwandan side? Not yet, but because the press conference just ended, there is five or seven minutes. Uh, I don't know if anyone has already posted about it, but okay. we are waiting for the replay of now, Rwanda. Now, aside, aside from the gunshots that you hear you know, in the distance, 
Are there any other visible signs that there's fighting taking place in the in the area? Whether it's people yes. fleeing the fighting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Many people uh, left their villages to Bunagana. Even some people of Bunagana crossed the border to Uganda because the road to Ruchuru Center or Goma was a bit dangerous. So for them, it's easy to cross the border. And today, Ugandan city of Bunagana gets more people from DRC, which are displaced, fleeing the war. Has there been any type of statement, any statement from the M- M23? Have they expressed their demands yet? Not yet from this fighting, but there is two days ago, they did a statement uh, accusing the government do not uh, to do not respect the agreement they signed when they left the country. So for them, they have to they will talk to the government in the same language of what government needs. They said all attacks which started from the last uh, October was because FRDC was attacking them in their in their position in the Congo forests. According to them, they were already in Congo since long time. So FRDC was attacking them. That's why they now start attack FRDC. That was Jaffa Sabiti Alcatante, a reporter based in Goma in the Eastern DRC. And still in the DRC, the country is said to officially join the East African community. The heads of state of the East African community are meeting virtually Thursday to admit the seventh member of the bloc following Kinshasa's application in 2019. Moses Javierimana reports. Leaders from Uganda, Kenya, Tanzania, Burundi, Rwanda and South Sudan are expected to meet virtually for the official admission of the Democratic Republic of Congo into the regional bloc. The last member to join was South Sudan in 2016. John Bosco Kalisa is the chairman of the East African Business Council. The DLC is going to be the seventh member of the EAC and boosting a market of uh, around 280 million people. That's uh, a huge opportunity for private sector, for investors uh, to come and invest in the EAC. So it provides really an enormous opportunities uh, to do business, do investment, given the fact that five, um, five out of six partner states are neighbors of the DRC. The 19th Extraordinary Summit of the East African Community Heads of State is set to take place virtually and is expected to consider the report of the Council of Ministers on the negotiations between the East African Community and the Democratic Republic of Congo. Last November, the ministers recommended for the consideration by the East African Community leaders the report of the verification team on the Democratic Republic of Congo's application to join the community. George Odong, is a lawmaker from the East African Legislative Assembly. Welcome, DRC, to the East African community. It's always work in progress. We shall continue to work to perfect our regional integration. Uh, we know that there are so many challenges 
even with the current uh, six partner states, but it takes time to, to align our, our legal systems, to align our institutions, to get um, our people to embrace and understand uh, the, the beauty of regional integration. If admitted to the East African community, citizens from Democratic Republic of Congo and other member states from the bloc will be free to travel to member states without requiring a visa as per the common market protocol. Blaise Kayembe is a Congolese entrepreneur based in Uvira. We have a big country, we have many potential and um, the access of free visa will help us the doing business and uh, students will be very happy because the the access of studies was not easy. The Democratic Republic of Congo had applied to join the East African community three years ago, but today the country is expected to reach another milestone by joining a bloc whose ultimate goal is to form a political federation. Moses Aviarimana for Voice of America. Daybreak Africa continues. In Malawi, civil society groups are calling for an independent investigation into allegations of corruption in public institutions. This after reports that private individuals are encouraging government officials to commit financial malfeasance. The groups are also calling on the judiciary and law enforcement agencies to ensure transparency in the inquiry and subsequent prosecution of those who are found guilty. The call follows a recent meeting of civil society groups in the Malawian capital, Lilongwe. Charles Kajoloweka is the executive director of one such group, Youth and Society. He tells VOS Peter Cloti that civil society is strongly behind calls for an independent inquiry into graft in the country. Recently, there have been revelations of state capture level of corruption in the country. As you would recall, but recently... The anti-corruption bureau here is a draft-busting body, uh, you know, has been really forthcoming, uh, including arresting some of the suspected, uh, you know, individuals in government, uh, following, you know, the intelligence sharing that they have had food, you know, from the British government. And what we have basically uh, is a scenario in which high-level government officials are suspected to have participated uh, in a number of extractive activities, including public procurement. Now there is evidence that has been shared by the British government with Malawi government through the, uh, through the Bureau that is responsible for investigations and, and prosecution of these, um, uh, these cases. Civil rights activists are demanding an investigation into these reports of state capture. Is that what the, you are asking for? Precisely, beyond just what has been shared by the British government, we think that a full-scale investigation should be able to give us a full picture of this damage and that all individuals must be held accountable. But some people are saying these are just mere allegations. These are not mere allegations. These are investigations that have been done by competent and credible uh, you know, uh, institutions, and that even beyond just the British government sharing, you know, that intelligence with the Malawi authorities, the, the Anti-Corruption Bureau here has also validated and further done investigations uh, on the same. And we have seen, for example, recently a, you know, a cabinet minister being arrested, uh, you know, building on investigation, uh, you know, reports that were shared. Therefore, these are not just mere allegations. For the fact we know 
that the, this debt capture has been going on for a long time. But I think what has been just missing is uh, the, that evidence, which I think the British, you know, have unveiled, and that uh, now the law enforcement institutions uh, locally now are, are acting on those, um, uh, you, you know, on those establishments, and that uh, moving forward, what is more critical is just to go beyond what has been provided by the uh, British government. Civil rights activists and organizations are also demanding accountability of the judiciary and law enforcement agencies regarding some of these cases that are before them. Talk to me about this. So the fact of the matter remains that uh, having evidence and uh, having these uh, investigations done is one thing, and then you'll have a little to ensure that you secure uh, justice at the end of the day. So the accountability of the judiciary is very critical. And we all know the deficits that we have seen in the judiciary, uh, one in terms of uh, delayed prosecution of cases. We have also seen selective justice in prosecution of cases. We have some cases of high-profile politicians that, you know, have been shelved for over 10 years. At the same time, we have also seen that, uh, uh, you know, junior uh, public officials have been prosecuted and convicted, quite a number of them, but very few, you know, from the high ranks, uh, uh, you know, of government. Therefore, our view is that the judiciary should not be allowed to tower above accountability. That was Charles Kajoloweka, the executive director of the anti-corruption group Youth and Society. You're speaking to VOS Peter Cloti. And Ghana's president Nana Akufo-Addo has lifted more COVID-19 prevention measures, such as wearing masks and reopened land and sea borders that were for the past two years closed to food traffic. The loosening of pandemic restrictions has been welcomed as a step forward for Ghana's economic recovery. Kat Mensah reports from Accra. Ghana's president on Sunday said marks are no longer required and that all indoor events can operate at full capacity if participants are vaccinated against COVID. He said visitors who are fully vaccinated no longer need to present a negative COVID test and said food traffic will resume immediately on all land and sea borders. Akufuado said the rate of infection has fallen and that relaxing the measures will attract more tourists and trade to booster the pandemic-hit economy. It has been a difficult two years for all of us and we're seeing light at the end of a very long tunnel. As we left these restrictions, now is the time for all of us to join hands, work hard and help put our nation back onto the path of progress and prosperity as we resume full production and increase productivity. As your president, I assure you that sooner rather than later, our economy will rebound from the ravages of COVID-19. Akufuado has been under pressure from opposition politicians and traders to reopen the borders to food traffic. Daniel Amate is an economist with the Accra-based Policy Initiative for Economic Development, PIED. He says reopening the borders will go a long way to inject more capital into Ghana's economy by creating jobs. Reopening the borders now, to me, it's a very good news. Number one, it will revamp the economies along the border towns and principally to the extent that it will even help traders in the capital of Accra and that of Greater Kumansi. 
Secondly, uh, government revenue at the borders will also increase because now there will be movement of goods from Togo to Ghana as well as from Ghana to Togo. Nana Kofi Kwachi is a program manager with the Orium Institute Ghana. He notes loosening pandemic restrictions comes with risk. We want to be seeing things like a greater push for higher vaccination levels. Currently, the vaccinated population, as a sum of the entire population, um, is just really about 30%. So we still have a lot of ways to go, and we really need to push on that. But we also need to push on the non-pharmaceutical interventions, like mask wearing, like physical distancing, to make sure that we are maintaining a, a, a readiness posture. About a quarter of Ghana's 31 million people have received at least one dose of the vaccine, but only 16% of the population is fully vaccinated. Ghana's health authorities say there is an average of about only 17 new COVID infections recorded each day. But as the Easter holiday approaches, with large gatherings and movement of people, the data and science behind the government decision will be tested. Kent Mensah for VUA News, Accra, Ghana. A non-fungible token, or NFT, created for the 1961 arrest warrant of anti-apartheid icon Nelson Mandela has sold for $130,000 at auction. The fans will help maintain the Lilisleaf Museum Heritage Site, a farm where Mandela and other leaders of the anti-apartheid movement in the 1960s hid from authorities. But as Vicky Stark reports, the funds will not be enough to reopen the museum, which has been hit hard by the lack of tourism during the COVID-19 pandemic. The founder of the Lilies Leaf Museum, Nicholas Walpi, says the museum still needs about $1.7 million before it can reopen. Based upon a historical figure, to clear all the debts and to provide for at least for the next year or two, there needs to be repairs, exhibits need to be fixed, and then the day-to-day operation, paying for salaries and getting the place back on its feet. Forpey says last year he was approached by one of the owners of Moment, the company that runs the NFT marketplace. They explained that the museum's artifacts could earn cash while staying on site for security purposes and preservation. Forpey said he thought it was a perfect opportunity for Lily's Leaf to create an alternative source of income. He explained the process of NFTs to me, and I said, this is a wonderful opportunity for not just only Lily's Leaf, but for historical sites around the world, because we currently live in an environment where the reality is, you know, government funding is not what it used to be. So the question is, how do you create a sustainable flow of income? Yes, one of them is through entry fees. Moment's CEO, Aaron Posthumus, explains that NFTs, which use blockchain technology, are a way of putting a value to content on the Internet. The buyer of the warranty says gets significant long-term benefits. Benefits the, the buyer of the Nelson Mandela piece gets. So they are the only person in the world who will actually have the original, what's called an alpha file, of the scan of the document. So you can view the document online and it's incredibly high detailed. You can see the ink bleeding through the paper, but the owner of the document is the only one who will have the fully uncompressed version of this uh, 3D file. It also gives the buyer access to the physical document um, as well as a 5% royalty in perpetuity. So as a buyer, if they resell the piece and if the piece gets sold, 
10 or 100 times they will actually receive a royalty on the piece, which is amazing. The Elysee Museum will equally be getting a, a royalty on the resale of the piece. Mandela, who became South Africa's first democratically elected president, was released from prison in 1990. The auction of his arrest warrant followed the NFT auction of a gun pen owned by Mandela's fellow liberation leader Oliver Tambo. That NFT sale in November raised $50,000 also for the museum. Wolpe says the Moment team has photographed a number of other artifacts they believe are valuable. Vicky Stark for VOA News, Cape Town, South Africa. Officials of the International Organization for Migration say residents in West Africa looking to leave their region need better information and tools to avoid dangerous routes. Mia Barrett heads a new awareness-raising unit at the West Africa office of the IOM. She spoke to Ricky Shryok about its efforts to discourage irregular migration and help more people access regular migration routes. Our goal ultimately is to empower young people to make informed decisions about migration. We do this looking at increasing knowledge about migration, so both about the risks of irregular migration, but also the processes of regular migration and other opportunities. We're also changing attitudes about migration. Regular migration, which involves you know, getting a passport and a visa, is worth the time. And changing intended behaviors so that we're, through our activities, we're trying to get individuals to take that action to seek accurate information when making like migration-related decisions. You know, what are some of the hurdles to that? Because obviously, depending on where someone wants to go, sometimes regular migration, migration is almost impossible. Besides just migration for perhaps living or working, uh, do you guys work with people who just want to get visas to perhaps go somewhere or check it out or things like that? Because I know just movement in general is very restricted for people who hold only a passport from a West African country if they want to go somewhere like Europe, for example. That's a really good question. And actually, the lack of this information in a sort of uh, in one spot was one of the biggest hurdles we faced when we started the unit in 2019. We're out there conducting activities where we're talking about, you know, the risks of regular migration and, and better to migrate properly. But people are saying, okay, great, I understand all of this, I understand it's risky, but what can I do instead? And so to address that, we built the wackawell.info website. And it has tailored information for currently seven countries in Western Central Africa, and we're adding more. And essentially, it gives three options to the user. One is I want to travel. Two is I want to learn about local opportunities. And three is I want to talk to someone. And what are some of the main hurdles? I mean, obviously, we have to recognize that uh, not all of our audiences in this region are digitally connected. And for that, for that reason, while we have the website, um, which is the ongoing tool that we promote during our activities, we also have hard copy versions of this information, which we place at migrant resource centers, in schools, universities, you know, town halls, places where communities gather, so that even if people aren't online, they can still access the information. Um, in terms of literacy, that's a very good question. I mean, one, you know, we, we have all of our information available in English and French, but we're recognizing more and more that we need to start adapting to other local languages within the region. Uh, we also have to, you know, remember that that this some of this information we're presenting can be complex. So we really have to work on finding a way to break it down into simple terms. 
that are understood, uh, you know, also within the cultural context and the community itself. That was Mia Barrett, head of the Awareness Raising Unit of the International Organization for Migration, IOM's West Africa office. She was speaking to Ricky Shryok. And that's it for this edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending this morning with us. For more African news and features, visit our website at voanews.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and on YouTube. Until next time, I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington, wishing you a great week ahead, Africa. VOA brings you the best in African music on the African beat. African Beat showcases the latest and the greatest of contemporary African music. From bubu music to hip life, bonga flavor to sukus, Afrobeat to Ndombolo and Makosa to Kwaito. The African Beat on VOA has it all. And it's happening right here, Mondays through Fridays at 0905 and 2005 UTC right after the international news. 